0: edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me today. On today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, The past few episodes, I've been looking at historical events of lesser magistrates, looking at the doctrine of lesser magistrates, civil disobedience, idolatry, things like that. But today, I have the honor and privilege of interviewing Brad Lanning. Brad is running for the first congressional district of Pennsylvania, so basically at the federal government, House of Representatives level uh, representing Pennsylvania. And I'm going to spend the, the uh, whole episode doing that.'m uh, not going to have a law of the day or any other topic, so I just want to uh, kind of introduce. Brad here before we get into the interview. Brad has spent his entire life in Eastern Pennsylvania, where the first congressional district is, and over the past 15 years or so, he's worked in the private sector, helping uh, small businesses to grow, and being engaged in consulting for small businesses, uh, building credit in the marketplace uh, for those businesses, and helping them to find uh, laborers in the labor market. And recently, he has been a stay-at-home dad also worked in real estate, earning a master's degree, and being a volunteer at his local church. So with that said, without further ado, my interview with Brad Lanning. Well, welcome, Brad. Uh, thanks for meeting me today and for agreeing to have a, a, a little chat, little sit down to learn more about you and who you are and what you're doing. I'm very interested in, in you and your policies and been following your your campaign uh, for a little bit, so um. am uh, I'm really excited about our our discussion this morning. I kind of just want to begin by, you know asking about your your origin story. Everyone's got an origin story, so just tell tell me, tell the audience um, about yourself, who you are and and when what you do or what you have done.
1: Sure, and thank you for having me, Eric. Yeah. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Um so as far as my origin story, I grew up um, in the Lehigh Valley. I went to I lived in Catasauqua virtually all my life. Um, my grandparents are immigrants from Italy. They came over as tailors. And this is they met actually on the way over here, and they moved to New Jersey. That's where they had my mother. Uh, my grandmother worked in a factory, and my grandfather um, ended up becoming a manager for today's man sewing suits. Um, a lot of those jobs ended up going to China, but luckily, while he was here, he was able to uh, access the American dream, and you know, work. They both worked very hard, raised their children and um, you know we're able to be homeowners and and you know just really provide a better life for the for the next generation. So I grew up in a blue collar in a blue collar background between my grandparents. My dad was a technician, but my mom and dad divorced when I was young. Um, my stepdad was a blue collar New Yorker in the construction industry. So I, very much a blue collar background it was the first for my family to graduate from college. Um, as far as my professional career is concerned, I consider myself a Main Street candidate. I've consulted small businesses. i worked with small businesses. i worked for small businesses. Um, I worked for Dun & Bradstreet consulting businesses on how to build credit and credibility. I was a recruiter where I worked as an intermediary between an employee and employer uh, on the front lines of, of the labor force, um, and so that's the background I bring. I was also a realtor. And, um, you know, I've had to juggle being a realtor, being at home with my children mm-hmm. and getting my master's degree. And so I'm very familiar with the average mer- middle-class Americans are going through.
0: Yeah. it's a lot of stuff that you've been involved in. And, uh, I myself did a little bit of real estate also year, years ago. Um, so that's a, always a fun business to be, to be a part of. So it is you No, know, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. So, what um, I guess kind of led you to want to run for office, um, like kind of like what are you running for, and, and why are you why are you doing this now? You know.
1: Yeah. So I've always been passionate about politics and, and foreign policy. I've always been self-studied in it. It's just the type of books I read and what I follow. Um, I see the country is going in a very bad direction, and I think a lot of people see it. They see it on the at, at the grocery store. They see it at the gas pump. Um, they see it in their schools. They see it with the rising crime. Uh, the country is really headed to a very, in, you know, in a very bad direction. And I think we all can see that. And as a father with two young children who are very concerned about their future, um, I want to get involved. And I know that. You know my opponent, Brian Fitzpatrick, hasn't really been representing conservative values and principles and really representing and championing what has made America great. And when you look at some of the policy positions and policies that he has supported and in some instances co-sponsored, he's really, really aligned himself with the radical left fringes of the Democratic Party. So I see a need and I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to 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 get involved and push back, um, you know where I see that need.
0: So you're running for the, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the first congressional district of PA, uh, which which Ryan Fitzpatrick is currently the incumbent, and I think he's been there since 2019, uh, several years at least, um, as far as far as I can remember. So uh, you mentioned, you know that that you're concerned with some of his. Positions, policies, I was just curious as to well, what, like, what are, what are the top two or three um, main issues that have concerned you, and how would you kind of address those issues?
1: Yeah, so I would say some of the big policy, the positions that have fundamental social and economic implications and, and ramifications would be um, he has supported the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, he has supported the Equality Act and he has supported the $15 minimum wage. And I'll just add there recently he co-sponsored a bill supporting a national database to separate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. And so there's a a really big list of of policies that I think he's supporting that are are helping to move and steer our country in the wrong direction. Um, The Paris Climate Agreement. So one thing I I, want to recognize Brian Fitzpatrick and, and say that he is actually does recognize that China is, is probably the biggest threat that we face in the 21st century. And I think he correctly recognizes that. The problem is, is he supports policies that strengthen China and weaken the United States. So when you look at the Paris Climate Agreement, really it doesn't fulfill its purported aims um, and it prioritizes international activists over the interests of the American people. So, the world needs a certain amount of energy, and it's, if it doesn't get it from us, they're going to get it elsewhere, and most likely from other countries that don't have the type of clean energy technology that we have. So the net effect, in our, as far as clean air is concerned, is that there's probably going to be more pollution as a result of the Paris Climate Agreement. Not only that, the countries like China, who have a history of falsifying data and lying about their emissions, are going to keep doing what they're doing, and the American jobs are going to go overseas we're gonna lose out on very important industries. We are going to be energy dependent, which means that, um, that that could potentially become a national security issue. And when you look at Biden going to OPEC, because we were energy independent when Trump left office, but now um, because of Biden's policies, him not supporting the Keystone Pipeline and others, what what he has done is created a dependency on other countries and other countries that aren't necessarily our friends. Um, and this is a national security issue, and so we are now energy dependent, our jobs, we've lost a lot of jobs because of that. And countries, authoritarian countries that aren't abiding by this, they're going to get stronger for it and we're going to get weaker. The $15 minimum wage cripples our small business community. What it does is it de-incentivizes the, the return of industry and manufacturing to our country. So companies, big companies especially, they'll pick up the market share from the small businesses that are forced to fail because of this. And also, they'll take their, their jobs over to China, especially these big multinational companies, where they'll get essentially slave labor because we've just de-incentivized the return of those industries in America. So we'll lose those jobs and the small business community will be hurt. So these are the type of of, of pieces of legislation that he supports that weaken our country and it strengthens the, the other countries, especially our adversaries like China. And as far as the national database is concerned. Creating a national database to separate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated makes us more like China. So I'm not sure how we can deal with a threat like China when we become more like them and we support policies that strengthen them and weaken us.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. I, uh, if I may, I wanted to touch on a little bit of, of each of those topics. The first one regarding Paris climate. So if, I, I'm, if I'm understanding it correctly, the, the idea being that, you know, we all recognize that there's supply and demand in the world and people need energy whether it's oil, coal, natural gas, it doesn't really matter, right? So if, you know, the Paris Climate Accords, whatever, everyone sits down and, and agrees to, like, not to like not produce enough energy or a certain amount of energy or a certain kind of energy. And so, you know, we kind of hamstring ourselves and say, well, we're not going to either consume or produce X amount of energy. We're going to do these things to just be, quote-unquote, green to the world. But then what you're suggesting... And I I think I see this as a problem, too, is that a country like China um, can take advantage of that. They can either, A, lie and say that they are following the rules, but not really. Which they have a history of doing. Because who's going to really, like, check their work, right? Or, Or, B, they just won't follow them. But it won't matter because people need energy and they'll just go to China to get it. And then China can take advantage of, you know, there's this huge demand. And guess what? They have the supply, so they get the business. They get the um, – the people become dependent upon them, right? They go to them. So I definitely see that as a as a legit concern. Is that a, a fair yeah. understanding? Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. And I, w- I would like to add that I do support incentivizing the clean t- energy technology of the future, um, and I think everybody really can get behind clean air. And and I, I think that America needs to do that to compete. Uh, for the future business in a globalized economy and 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 so i I think that there we do have interest in developing this technology, but in the meantime, we need to support our um natural energy, our oil and gas and coal industries and and make sure that we are energy independent and that we're able to compete in the economy now
0: mm-hmm. yeah no I, I, that makes sense and then, as far as the minimum wage, i mean i've done a little bit of study on this myself and and it's always economics has always been very interesting to me because it's it's also kind of complicated a lot of people just don't like really understand how it works you know they see oh minimum wage means everyone gets a lot of money you know even for doing the littlest job but the the problem is is essentially those who don't have as many skills as other people so you know if you're if you own a business and and the government says you have to pay everybody x amount of dollars no matter what they do they could be a janitor they could be you know Cleaning tables, they could be a, a cook or whatever. The, this is the minimum you have to pay them. Then that company uh, is like, well, is is this person really doing fifteen dollars an hour of labor? Like, are they, is that what is that really what they're doing? And the, if the answer is no, then then either they're just going to make other people do it that they've already been hired, or they'll automate it. Right. Right. They'll just get some computers and and the computers will do all the work. Um. And so it, it does actually push out. It seems like it pushes out of the market, the unskilled. Mm-hmm. Th- those who don't have as many skills, yeah. like high school students, that's fine. You know, it's not offensive to say that you don't have as many skills. That's that's just life. I mean, life is all about gaining skills. But if you don't have as many to start out with, there's no place for you because right. you don't have enough skills to be to be an incentive for a company to hire you at 15, 20 an hour. Is that fair?
1: Yeah. And, and I think that's the irony of the $15 minimum wage is that its aim is to help out the lower income elements of, of our society. But what it actually does is hurts them the most because it prices them out of the market, and it it hurts our our small business community too, which is the because they can't afford to pay these wages. And so the the small business our small businesses are the backbone of the American economy. So if they crumble, you know our whole economy goes under. So we want to make sure that our policies support the small business community and also support the low wage earners that maybe not have a college degree. Um, So you're right. So although the aim the aims of the fifteen dollar minimum wage are to help the lower skilled workers, it actually ends up hurting them and and our small businesses as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's certainly a a concern. And it is interesting, by the way, anyways, kind of as a, like the government always tries, from my perspective, looking at history, it always tries to like do something and and it says it's helping people. But if you look at what's happening with inflation and just the government injecting all these dollars into the economy, it devalues the currency, so uh, prices are increasing, which makes sense. If you have the same amount of stuff, like let's say gasoline or, or wood, lumber, and you increase the amount of dollars that are in the economy, well, now you got to pay more dollars to to equate the same amount of gasoline or wood. And then you can make it worse by you know, with supply chain isu- issues, right? Like now there's less, let's say there's less wood, less lumber because of shipping issues. So now you've reduced the, su- the supply of stuff and you've even injected more cash. So you really will skyrocket prices. And I find it interesting because I go to Wawa on the way to work, get my coffee, and I see they're hiring. And what is their starting salary? $15 an hour. So they don't even need the government to say, "Here's a fifteen dollars minimum wage." Wawa is already offering that. Right,
1: the market is naturally, organically pushing companies to pay that, and I'm completely fine with that, and that's how it should be. That's exactly right. The problem is, is in this area working at Wawa um, with with the particular market dynamics of this area. That makes sense here, and it would and maybe it wouldn't be enough to woo an employee yeah. in New York City or Philly, but in Alabama, yeah, forcing an, a small business in Alabama to pay $15, you're, you're forcing them to fail, yeah. Um, and so, just federalizing a minimum wage just makes zero sense. And I'm you know, I'm shocked that someone like Brian would. Uh, I'm surprised that anybody would support it. Um, I shouldn't say shocked at this point that Brian supports it, but I'm just surprised that anybody would support a federalized minimum wage.
0: Well, yeah, it it just—I—I agree. It it bothers me because it seems like it's just—they don't really think through the policy. It just sounds really, really good Mm -hmm. to say that everybody gets, you know, you know, fifteen, twenty bucks an hour. But when you think through it, it actually doesn't work out that way, and that's typical with a lot of government policy.
1: Yeah, well, and that's, I think, the common element in a lot of these um, pieces of legislation that Brian has supported. They all sound good, but when you really dig through them and you, and you see what's in them and you you can do an analysis to see where it's going to lead and how it's going to impact the society as a whole and down the line – you see that, like for example, the Equality Act. It sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. Paris Climate Agreement. It sounds good. Minimum $15 minimum wage. It sounds great. But so they all sound good. But when you actually dig in, you see that the they're very bad for America and for the mm-hmm. future of our republic.
0: Yeah, and the last topic you brought up was the uh, the vaccine database that would track who's vaccinated and who's unvaccinated. Uh, yeah, that per that definitely strikes me as just simply tyrannical. I mean, I like I don't. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, like, you know, oh, maybe they have a good intentions, like it's good to like know who's vaccinated and who's not vaccinated. But I really don't know how that's good or not. I mean, the only purpose of knowing is to be able to treat one group different than another. Like, right. that's, that's kind of how it is in anything in life, right? Like, we could talk about citizenship. I mean, why do you want to know who is a, is a citizen and who is eligible to vote? Because that one group can and should vote, and the other group, non-citizens, should not vote. Right. Why do you have, you know, membership at a club, or, or or you know, rewards members at you know any store to know who gets the benefit, or who gets the responsibility, and who doesn't? So if you're gonna if you're gonna set up a database of vaccinated and unvaccinated, why are you doing that? Right. The only thing I can think of is you want to do something to one group, or give something to one group, not another.
1: Yeah, when you see what's happening in Australia and in Europe, they're creating a two-tiered society. Mm-hmm. Brian is helping to steer us in that direction into a, basically a biomedical security state. Mm. And that's and, and so although he recognized the threat of China, he's helping to move us to become more like China, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure, you know, it really takes a, a, a certain level of cognitive dissonance to not put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to see that. Mm. And so, the last thing we want to do in confronting China is become more like them.
0: No, I, I hundred yeah. percent agree with that. That you don't want to become like the, the, the person you're trying to um, steer steer clear of, or that you're that you're approaching into into a conflict there. Yeah. So, I, you've touched on what you would do differently in those areas and your positions on them. Um, and I'm sure you, there's many other uh, topics that you would love to love to talk about um, that you differ with. Uh, Brian or just in general, you know what you believe, Um, but I do want to kind of ask because I'm I'm all about, you know, in this podcast, you know, governed by God. I'm all about trying to understand the foundations of government. The found like what are the assumptions that we bring to the table? I mean, if we talk about any topic, pick a topic, whether it's minimum wage or immigration or whatever, everybody has. Uh, foundations or assumptions or a worldview that they bring to the table when they begin engaging in that topic, and sometimes we talk past each other because we're just talking about like surface level stuff instead of getting to the underlying issue. Such as, example, like I believe the government should provide healthcare for everybody. You know, that's like that's a fundamental belief that leads people to to pursue vaccine mandates mask mandates, and, you know, restricting drinking soda, you know, stuff like that. Um, like, what are some of your fundamental uh, views and philosophy of government? And how do you view the role of a politician, a civil magistrate in our culture?
1: Yeah, so I, I think you're right. When, when you see politicians crafting policy or defending some t- type of position, when you go, when you dig deep, there's a worldview behind that. And so I think that foundationally, what makes this country great is that our systems, our institutions are really based on a certain Judeo-Christian understanding yeah. and Judeo-Christian assumptions about reality and what it means to be human. When you look at, you know, our mm-hmm. constitutions and the separations of powers, there's certain assumptions that are un- that undergird, you know, the creation of that. Like, for example, that we're mm-hmm. fallen and, you know, not one person can't be trusted with power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think capitalism really... Works really well because it recognizes the reality of our fallen nature too. So we have, you know, we're greedy and self-preserving. But how do you channel that into a way that values the overall society? And I think that's why capitalism is effective too. Hmm. So I think I think it's important. I wrote my when I went to Liberty, I have a master's in Christian apologetics. My mini thesis, what I call it, um, really went into this. So the idea is that you can't uh, sustain any commitment from any nation when it comes to human rights without the assumption of the imago Dei, the image of God. Mm -hmm. Because if we aren't created in the image of God, there's no objective grounding to assume that humans should have inherent dignity. And, and so without that grounding, then why do we why, why should we have human rights? You know the, what makes the American experiment and the American Republic so unique is that there's this recognition that rights come from God and government's just there to steward and protect that. Hmm. The government doesn't give you those rights. they're already there from God. And so when we look at countries like China, we're saying, hey, you should commit to human rights and you know you're violating human rights, We don't understand that they don't share those same assumptions. And increasingly, the True. secularist worldview that is dominating, the left and, and and really creeping into the right in many ways they will say human rights but they also don't share that the those type of assumptions that objectively ground hmm. um, that so worldview is monumentally important
0: yeah. well if I may like yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm curious like I, that's that's an important topic I do think that the image of God concept is is key because so because I've been reading a lot about this too obviously our founding fathers even you know the so-called, non-Christian Thomas Jefferson and by the way, I'm reading a book about Thomas Jefferson. Um, it's called The Jefferson Lies. It's a very good book if anyone's interested in it, it, it kind of um, clarifies and corrects some of the some of the general assumptions and errors that we've had as a culture regarding Jefferson. But um, even he in his drafting of the Declaration, you know recognized you know inherent rights from our from our creator, inalienable rights, right. So inalienable means that, They can't be taken from you, from us. And why is that? Because they don't come from man. So, like you said, a country like China that officially does not believe in a creator, um, what are rights? Rights are given by the government. The government chooses and decides what are and are not rights. And the government can give and the government can take away. And there's no one to say otherwise, right? So I do think it's, it's fundamentally important to have that image of God uh, foundation, uh, and that's the foundation for true human rights. The duty of government is to protect and recognize already existing God-given rights. It is not God. The government's not God. They're not the ones that get to determine or create or destroy rights. Is that kind of what you're getting at Yeah.
1: And I think that when you look back at the American, when you compare the American revolution with the Napoleonic revolutions in Europe and and, and the the French revolution and where they went, I think that was a key distinction Mm -hmm. is that the U.S. system hinged upon the assumption that um, rights come from God. Whereas even though that they recognize this need for rights, it was, you know, government given rights. And I think Mm -hmm. that What you're seeing now play out centuries later, I think it's still reflecting that when you see what's going on in Europe, the COVID, how they're treating COVID and the vaccines, I think you're Mm -hmm. seeing the manifestation of that even centuries later.
0: Yeah. And well, that leads me to my next question then about that importance of of having that Christian worldview. I mean, how has your faith, and I know you mentioned this already a little bit before, but how how does your faith affect your views toward public policy Mm -hmm. and, and how you would govern in a position of authority?
1: Yeah, so to be clear, everybody's operating on some sort of faith. Even mm-hmm. the person that says there is no God, I'm, and I would argue, you know, with an apologetics background, takes more faith <laughs> and blind faith to to with all, you know that's a whole other topic. But yeah. any worldview is going to hinge on some form of faith, right? So my faith um, in God and and how He was revealed through Jesus Christ and His and and how He revealed Himself. Um, and reality through his word is is core and central to who I am and it's foundational to my worldview and and some of the assumptions that I make about reality so when you look at the biblical um, role of government uh, if you look at romans 13 i believe it's to punish evil mm-hmm. and to promote the good mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um when you look at jesus's model f- uh, uh being a servant leader um when you look at the prophets of old when god spoke through them and he they admonished the leadership at the time for not caring about the marginalized so i think you can synthesize a, a lot of this and i think you find that in our american tradition where we call uh, public servants you know where does that come from? Mm. Those type of words really are connected to the, our Christian heritage. You see our Christian heritage lived out even now when we say public servant. And so wh- why I'm particularly attracted to the America First governing philosophy because I think it embodies these concepts and the synthesis of, of those concepts um, really best. So when you look at the uh, what's the role of government? So they're to to represent the the people. Um, to punish evil, to promote the good, and to truly represent them, but to do it with justice, truth, and righteousness. And when you stop doing that, and when you start bowing to to other power sources, to money, to lobbyists, to special interests, you're no longer representing those people. And the prophets of in the Old Testament admonish leaders that were corrupt like that. Mm. Um, and so the America First governing philosophy really is that we— All of our policies need to be reflected in what is best for our people, not what's best. the The lobbyists shouldn't have the loudest voice at the table. At the end of the day, we have a representative government, so they are duty bound to represent the best interests of the people, and also the idea of serving them, serving the people, serving the the lowliest. That comes from Jesus. You know, we have that example. And I think the best way to punish evil and to promote the good is to truly represent the best interests of the people that you're supposed to fight for and be a voice for. And by the way, if you're a Nigerian leader, you need to be Nigeria first. You need. Need to be a voice for your people. And that's the whole point of government.
0: Mm-hmm. That That is very interesting and very important too, because for some reason, people in the culture, uh, they, if you say like America first or anything like that, you, you are, you could be accused of, oh, you're just a right wing nationalist, you know, whatever you're, you, you're a racist or, or whatever the case may be, right? They, they would say something bad about you for advocating for America first. You know, you're not a team player, but the logic, uh, uh, what you're what you're what you're saying, what I believe as well. I mean, it it, it goes down to the very fabric of, of found a foundation of a society. Like you are, you know, Brad Lanning, and your job is to take care of your family, the Lanning family. Okay, you love your wife, you love your children. You should love your wife more. And, and differently than you love other people's wives, obviously, that would be a problem if you didn't. Right. You need to love your children and, and, and sacrifice, serve your children more than other people's children. You know, you don't discipline other people's children. Right. You discipline your children right. because you love your children. Um, so families, obviously, just because you are, are advocating for your family doesn't mean that you hate every single family out there yeah, and that exactly you right. want them all yeah. to die or something or you won't talk to them or you won't you won't have them over for dinner or you won't do something for your neighbor. That doesn't mean that, right? So in the same way, like, you know, you're representing the first congressional, you want to represent the first congressional district of Pennsylvania. So you should have the interests of Pennsylvania, particularly the first district, uh, Congressional District of Pennsylvania, uh, when you go to congress right and your job is not to represent alabama california florida right. or texas it doesn't you know that's not your job right um and we wouldn't expect that to be your job and and you advocating for america first is not a problem it doesn't mean that you hate all the other countries right. in the world right yeah. <laughs> you know so i guess that that's my logic as i understand it like i don't see a problem with with america yeah. first i mean, does that yeah, and, and, and,
1: and the fact that the whole government's role is to represent the interests of their people, yeah. that's what makes this so surprising that it's mm-hmm. even controversial to say. <laughs> you know, That's the yeah. whole point of government. That's true. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, your job is to- represent.
1: Literally, that's the point. So yeah, yeah it shouldn't <laughs> well, be controversial. Literally the point yeah. of government is to represent <laughs> yeah. the people. Yeah.
0: That is very true. Are there any other, uh, before we close, like any other topics, thoughts, concerns, issues that you want to bring up that you want Chat with me about, or do you want your listeners to hear?
1: Um, Just, I guess, to know, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding redundant, that (laughs) I'm running for Congress because I care about this country. And I care about the people in this country. And I think that not only is it important that America remain true to herself and be strong, but it's important for the world that America be that leader. So it's important that America be strong. And I want to represent and champion the interests of Americans. And I think that's that's actually a, a benefit to the world as well. And so I, I'm not going to be listening you know, to the lobbyists, the special interest groups, or anything like that. Everything that I do, my question is going to be, how is this good for the people? And And that's the candidate that I will be. Yeah. A public servant.
0: No, that's, that's good. And I, as, as a Christian myself, and this is the Governed by, by God podcast, and, and I, I, I chose that name a long time ago because uh, William Penn, the founder of, of Pennsylvania, uh, he was known to have said, if men will not be governed by God— they will be ruled by tyrants. Right. And like you said earlier, the, the, the Bible is very clear that the role of the government is to punish evil and to praise and promote the good. Well, How, well, how do you define good and evil?
1: Mm.
0: God defines that, uh, morality, um, uh, the Judeo-Christian worldview, God's law. That is what tells us and shows us what is good and what is evil. Uh, as, as Proverbs 16 says, it is an abomination for kings to do evil. For the throne is established by righteousness. So, you know, God is, is saying all throughout the word, like, not just Israel's kings, but all kings. It's an it's an abomination. Sin is a reproach to any people, mm-hmm. as, as the proverbs also say. So there has to be a standard. And as a Christian, I believe it's it's God's standard. As a country, our founders believed it was God's standard, and that is the only way to resist tyranny. Um that, as, as William Penn himself argued, I mean, if you're not going to obey God and, and build your your culture, your society upon God, you're going to fall under tyranny at yeah. some point. So. And
1: chaos. Yes. When you move away from those absolutes and you move into relativism, it, it yeah. won't take long, as we see in our cities mm. and we see in the, the places in this country that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, are more secular. I mean, these are not places you want to be. Mm-hmm. And and the further we move away from God and these, these absolutes and, and, and these shared understanding of what is evil, mm. and when we've rel- relativized everything, we see, you know, we go to these places and there's high crime. It's not safe. Mm. You know, there's more poverty. There's more instability. Mm-hmm. And so when, the further we move away from God and his standard, you see the manifestation of that. We yeah. see it in reality. We see it throughout history.
0: Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of even the book of Judges where where God says— everyone did what was right in his own eyes Mm. like this it it even says like but this is before there was a king in the land everyone did what was right in his own eyes like could you imagine living in a world where everyone there's no such thing as absolute truth absolute morality Everyone just does whatever they think is right. Yeah. Like, We're moving there. <laughs> I know, dude, that is pure <laughs> it's scary. Kind of, it really is. <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah. Dude, well, uh, thank you, Brad, for, for, for coming on the show today. But my last um, question is just more of how can people uh, contact you, uh, learn more about you, or, or go about supporting you?
1: Yeah. So you can go on my website, Brad Lanning4Congress.com, uh, and you could sign up to be a supporter, a volunteer, and you could also donate through the website. Mm-hmm. You can also visit my Facebook. It's Brad Lanning for Congress, uh, and you mm-hmm. can find me on Facebook as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome, dude. Well, I hope that folks will, will do that, and I also hope that perhaps in the near future we can have you on again, maybe after the primary when you're running, running for the main thing. In, I would love uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, brother, again, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, take care, and and God bless. Thank you for having me. God bless. Well, I hope that you enjoyed and learned a lot from that interview with Brad. I know I certainly enjoyed chatting with him, and I hope that I'll have the chance to do so again in the future, perhaps after the primary, or maybe even perhaps after he wins, we can discuss things that he ends up doing in office, um, if that be how things turn out. But if you have any questions for Brad, you can certainly... Uh, email me at thegbgpodcast at gmail.com and I can forward those questions on to him. Or you can go to his website, BradlanningforCongress.com. You can contact uh, him and his campaign there. Or if you wish to support him, you can do that as well there. You can also find this podcast on Facebook. Just search for governed by God. Also on Twitter and on Patreon as well if you wish to become a supporter. All of that just simply helps to keep the show going and get the show out to more folks. So thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, take care. and.